Greetings, relatives. My name is Melissa Nelson, and I'm your host and gardener of the Native Seed Podcast. Welcome to the Native Seed Pod, a podcast aimed at celebrating the diversity and beauty of native seeds, soils, and indigenous foods. For this episode of the Native Seed Pod, Sarah Moncada, podcast producer, and I had a wonderful opportunity to sit with Wakuki Kingi and Tanya Wolfgram to talk about food sovereignty from the Pacific Islands. We have our special guests and relatives and family members from across the Pacific, the Moana, visiting us here in Coast Miwok country in the shadow of Mount Tamalpais. Uh, we have our relatives from Aotearoa. Can you please introduce yourselves? Well, kia ora, kia ora, um, kui kuki kingi tōku ingoa, no um, Aotearoa, New Zealand ahau, uh, te tāo tuku pāpa, uh, ki tairawhiti, te whārāpu ni whakatohe ngai tai, uh, te tāo tuku māma, ki Waikato, uh, Turanga Waiwai Marae, um, uh, no reira Tupiri Tumunga, um, Waikato te awa, uh, hipiko he tanifa, hipiko he tanifa, uh, tu heitia uh, te tanifa te kingi uh, o tātou te hiwi mari no reira tēnā koutou. So I'm Wikuki um, from New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand. My father's people are from the East Coast and my mother's people are from Waikato. Um, I grew up in the Waikato um, on the edge of the river and um, eating and swimming there every day, putting the little eels out. So food sovereignty <laughs> is, is a big... Um, is a, is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Kia ora. And happy to be here. Nice Kia ora. to be here. Thanks Welcome. for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Honey bear sisters. Oh, yeah. Honey bear. <laughs> I'm Lei, uh, ko Aotania Harikitira Tapawerwilu Wolfgram. So um, I come from the Pacific. I'm a uh, Kaumoana, person of the ocean. My father was born in this beautiful island of Ava'u in uh, the Kingdom of Tonga, mm-hmm. and my mother um, in Aotearoa, so she is Te Opori Whakatohea Ngaitai, uh, her iwi or tribes, and um, yeah, thank you very much for having us here in, in Coast Miwok country, we honour the people of the land here and these beautiful redwoods that we're surrounded by, so super excited. Mm, well, welcome. Wow. It's so good to have you here in our home. And the Native Seed Pod is a wonderful opportunity to share visions of food sovereignty. And what does that mean to you to be related to your plants, your seeds, and in your case, the ocean and the coastal life, the eels and the fish? And we'd love to hear from you as island people uh, what food sovereignty means to you from your various perspectives, your tri- tribal background, your landscape, and um, what, how do you say food in your various languages? Mm. So um, our language, which is a 9,000 years plus Austronesian language, 
and thousands of years old, which has travelled right across the Pacific from Taiwan all the way over to Rapa Nui, up to Hawaii and back down to Aotearoa. We have the same word for our food, which is kai. And that, that word kai in, incorporates um, the sound ka, which is our, our word for energy, fire and energy. Mm. And it also includes the sound e, which infers our divinity. So essentially when you put ka and e together and you have kai, we're actually talking about food as being divine energy. Mm. So kai. actually kai means everything to us. It's it's the way that we live and without mm. kai we are we don't exist. Mm. And why um, is a universal word for water, but um, also for spirit in another sense. So um, when we combine kaivai, um, we call ourselves the water eaters, which refers metaphorically to our ancestors travelling across the Pacific Ocean in what we call our ancient spaceships. <laughs> the canoes. For our listeners, yeah, also our known canoes. as canoes. <laughs> what, we, what we would call canoes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so uh, another really important word in our language is ora or ola. And um, ra or la or la'a is our word for the sun right across the Pacific. And so we, we acknowledge that, you know, the relationship that we have <clears throat> or is a relational word with um, kai being derived from, you know, the universe and from the sun. And we need that that incredible energy of the sun to, to give us life. So kai ora is our acknowledgement that, you know, um, food is life. Mm. Well, and it seems too that it, it brings us back into that <clears throat> continual story. One of the things we talk a lot about in these circles is the relationship of food, the fact that you cannot talk about food without also talking about water mm. and also talking about land mm. because the continuation or the, the um, kind of elevation of that relationship kind of all the way back to the beginnings of these things mm. is so core it's so fundamentally a mm. part of this conversation. Mm. And whenua. I mean, you oh, know. Of course, whenua mm. for us is, is the land uh, which um, you know, the food grows from and which the water travels across. So the, um, the land is very important to us. It's our tūranga waiwai, our place to stand, and enables us to undertake our ceremony and our practices in relation to, to food and water. Mm. Um, I'd like to say at this point that um, uh, mana is very important here. Um, and it's a, again a Proto-Polynesian word across the Pacific. Um, so ma refers to um, the colour white, but really it's the whole spectrum of all the colours of light. And these are essential to, to growing plants. And the na is in reflection to all of us together. So the, the mana really uh, expresses who we are collectively, and it's the key word for manaki tanga, which is the ability to look after each other. So a chief, typically from um, across the Pacific, his mana was measured in how he could feed his people and look after his guests. And key to that is the ability to have good food and good water. Mm. Wow, beautiful. And just going back to what Cookie was talking about, whenua, it is also a word for um, the you know, placenta that the our children um, 
you know, are, are born in. Are yeah. born in, you know, so, mm-hmm. and that is buried back on the land, back on the whenua. So mm-hmm. the, the words um, embody the relationship that mm-hmm. we have in terms of our own body with our own lands. Absolutely. And that yeah. speaks to, you know, the profound understanding that you have in your language and your culture that we are the land and the land is us. Mm. There is no separation, mm. right? We are born of the nutrients of the mother mm. uh, that go back to the land that feed the mother again, that create the child. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it. Mm. Yeah. yeah and the two key concepts that bring food sovereignty into being is the thing we call tinoranatiratanga. Um, which is you know our word for sovereignty, but linked to that very closely is this idea of mana motuhake, which is self determination, and those two key concepts um, talk to the collective guardianship, not so much the collective ownership. Although in the twenty first century those two have probably become uh, moulded into one, mm. because of the colonisation, we are constantly facing a battle against. Western society with their vision of what ownership is and what our vision of guardianship should be. So we're in constant conflict, if you like, around growing food for everyone. It's not an individual task rather than for the outcome of one person or a small group of people. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely right because um, some of the technologies like refrigeration actually changed uh, the dynamic of how we shared food. Prior to refrigeration, you'd catch a you know canoe load of fish and share it with everybody in the village or in the um, pa or you know whatever the papakaing or land was. Uh, once people ended up with refrigerators, they kind of thought, "I think I'll keep all of this myself." So there's been lots of um, you know shifts in social behaviour, which has been not that helpful mm-hmm. for many of us. But also um, just thinking about what you're saying is the the impact of colonization on the way that on our food systems which has been just huge so we've we've always had um, traditional ways of growing food understanding the star systems you know matariki and when you would plant and when you would harvest and all of those things um, sort of living more naturally with the land um, as opposed to the commodification of space place and space and that has had some really detrimental impacts on our health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And of course for us with the Tohunga Suppression Act of the 1830s a lot of our ancient practices were forced underground um, so the knowledge of the star systems and how we used um, the moon for example the 30 moon cycle for us as Māori for planting and for harvesting was lost uh, for the majority of Māori only the small pockets of tribes that really lived in, in the far reaches of, of, of the deep bush were able to carry that practice on. We've been reviving these in the last 20 years and now we've got to a point where the Matariki festival and ceremony is now part of the mainstream. Um, that allows us to um, share quite openly uh, not just the food but the practices and the ceremony that went on with it. So. Um, just an example, um, Mata Ariki was the Pallades star cluster. Mata meaning eyes and the Ariki is uh, the chief, so the little eyes of the chief. And our Tohunga were able to look at the star cluster at the beginning of June and be able to tell by the sparkle 
or the lack of, for each star, what the year's weather would, would be. And this had huge implications, of course, on when to plant, when to harvest, how long the summer would be, even down to the um, level of, of water um, in the ground, which then um, has an impact on the nitrate um, uh, movement within the soil, which, of course, then affects the plant. So mm -hmm. all of this native science was locked up in um, these ancient practices, which we're beginning to um, really now, you know, just begin to understand again. Mm. Even things like the fishing calendars, which were really quite sophisticated. You know, the tohonga that Rikuki mentioned, you know, the, the people that held that traditional knowledge that understood when to fish, what to fish for, what kind, you know, what kinds of fishing, um, moon cycles, you know, best places, best, it was, it was incredible. An amazing yeah. system and, and so extraordinary that your traditional knowledge, your Maori and Pacific knowledge of Matariki, what we know as Pleiades or here in Native America, the Seven Sisters. We mm. have many different stories about this beautiful constellation of stars that is going to show up soon, is showing up here for us here in the Northern Hemisphere in autumn, in the fall time, mm. and um, is a really important symbol of fertility for many tribes. And mm. what you just described, Cookie, about how um, the Maori farmers and and gatherers looked at um, the color and the shininess and brightness of Matariki uh, to determine the planting cycles is exactly parallel mm. to the Quechua farmers of the high Andes mm -hmm. around Lake Titicaca in South America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, were you guys communicating back then? <laughs> Did you independently come up with the same native scientific knowledge to you link? Mentioned water-eating spaceships yes. that might have traveled across i mean we definitely yes. did we definitely did i mean that was one of the things i mean we the pacific is 60 million plus square miles and we had traveled for thousands of miles and there was definitely evidence that we went all the way to what's called south america or peru because that's where we picked up the kumara and brought the kumara back right across the Pacific. It came from that side back to Tahiti, Tonga, Samoa, everywhere. And what is a kumara? Oh, kumara! Kumara is delicious. A kumara? So there are th like up to a thousand varieties of this beautiful um, tuber root. Um, some people call it a sweet potato, but it's not actually a potato per se. But it is a, a beautiful um, golden, most delicious flavored tuber that we cook in the ground traditionally in Tonga and across the Pacific in what we would call an umu. So an umu is something that you 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 actually cook the food in the ground. So you dig a hole in the ground and Earth you, oven. Earth oven. Earth oven yeah. style. Yeah. yeah. You know, heat up the rocks, light a fire, heat up the rocks, you know, wrap your food in some banana leaves or you know, put them on the hot rocks meat or whatever it is that you're eating of course freshly grated coconut mm. yeah in uh, the islands we call that new coconut oh my gosh that's mm. so unbelievable so you've got to you know have this delicious coconut in, infused in your food and with fish and kumara, kumara. your uh, tuber yeah and, yeah and maybe some meat if you hunted yeah. a deer that's right or, Oh my Not so much deer, Not but for yeah. you, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What were some of the, the meat foods of uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand, for that you hunted, that your ancestors would have hunted on the land? It was mainly a bird cult. 
mm-hmm. really are. We had the huge moa bird, mm-hmm. um, the kiwis, of course. Um, and um, if I can relate to the story of, of Kupe, who discovered um, for us um, Aotearoa, um, it was actually his wife in the darkness, the early morning, heard this huge sound of, of um, they said it was like an orchestra of bird sound. And um, it was her hearing um, that that spurned the direction for the canoe. And then afterwards they saw the land. Um, but there were so many, so many birds that it kind of blocked out the sun. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, they would dry the birds and take the oil and uh, preserve that in our calabashes, mm-hmm. uh, very similar to, to what happens here. Um, so, um, your fish and, and birds were, were, were the biggest um, dietary... Um, protein source, protein source animal protein source. source. Yeah. And shellfish. And shellfish, yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, let's go back to the, to the um, kumara. Um, no doubt we travelled to South America. We have names um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that correspond directly to places in Peru. Um, mm. In fact, the small black potato is called Peru Peru. Um, and we know that they travel well um, across water, so they're easily stored. And the nature of, of the, the sweet potato of the tuba is it only requires a certain amount of heat uh, for it to, to re-germinate. So what happens is you can put um, a few varieties away for three or four months, and then you you get them out and you spurned a new variety of tuba. Mm. So the old people knew that um, uh, there was special kind of powers locked up within these these uh, these uh, kumara and were able to transport them across the whole Pacific. Mm. Special powers is right. must be from the Andes. Yeah, <laughs> Those beautiful sacred valleys oh, and, and mountains. mountains. Yeah. Yeah. The beautiful waters. Yeah. wonder too, I think, you know, um, folks may not understand too the relationship of Rapa Nui in, in, and how the landmass of Rapa Nui sits so close to South America and yet is part of the larger Polynesian kingdom. Mm. I think we've been yeah. And just for our, our listeners, uh, Rapa Nui is the traditional name for what's commonly called Easter Island. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's an amazing place. We were there uh, recently, and um, I must say some of the food that we ate there was the best I've ever eaten. And the fish has this, uh, this special flavor of, I mean, it is, Rapa Nui is the most isolated country on the planet. So if you can imagine the, the fish that you get from there, mm. you know, there's no pollution. They've the never deep upwelling. The deep upwelling. Mm. They've they'd never heard of ciguatera, which is um, quite a relatively common poison now across the rest of the Pacific, which is uh, you get ciguatera poisoning you get from um, dead coral. Mm. So small the coral small coral fish eat the dead coral, and then it by magnifies as the eaten by bigger fish. Mm. And that has poisoned a lot of humans, including us, unfortunately, from mm. time to time. Um, and that's, that is an example of um, the, the impact of global warming and ocean warming, rising oceans, and, and the coral just not being able to, they've, they've got, kind of got hot, such an increased and highly sustained body temperature that it's 
they just die, you know, mm. they close down and die. So. And then is it a bacteria that yeah, develops a, yeah. from the death of the coral? Yes. Yeah. That is a poison very for toxic. all life. Very yeah. toxic. Very that toxic. That bioamplifies. And then when humans eat some of the shellfish mm. or even fish, fish. Yeah. they will get sick. Get very sick. And, mm. and it's fatal as well. Potentially mm. fatal. But it's, it's what's really upsetting about that. Um, what's happening in recent times and the um, acceleration and increase of ciguatera poisoning across the Pacific is not, it's not our fault as a Tongan person or a Pacific Island person or Māori that that happened to our coral. This is a result of what's happened right, right across the planet. And we're living with the impacts of that. Mm, mm. It reminds me of what a lot of the Inuit people in the far north are dealing with, with their animal um, relatives and foods, something mm. called persistent organic pollutants, POPs, mm, mm. that are created in mainly the U.S. and America and the, quote, developed nations. Mm. And it it hop skips or it um, it's a, like a grasshopper effect. It goes all the way up to the northern regions and then precipitates out. So mm. all these pollutions go up into the air in yeah. the north. They go up to the Arctic and then come down mm. into their animals so that the Inuit people who have no forms of development like we have in the amount of cars, etc., are the most impacted by these persistent organic pollutants that are created in the South. Mm. And it's so unfair. It's a really example of environmental racism that's inadvertent to that part. Mm. Other parts of environmental racism are deliberate, yeah. like putting toxic dumps, dumps mm. on Indian reservations. Mm. But this is kind of one of the inadvertent collateral damage of colonial development. Mm, definitely. We've also noticed um, in Aotearoa, my father's people along the East Coast, um, since forever, um, used to have this fish called the muki. It would appear at Matariki, we call it the Matariki fish. Um, and the legends of, of them being so many that um, they would put them along the tracks and they would stand like trees along along these long pathways. And they were dried and shared amongst everyone for the winter months. So it was really the fish that saved our people in many ways. And then it was um, eaten with, with dried kumara, again the sweet potato. So we expected this fish to come every year. In fact, we had songs for it, had prayers for it, had ceremony for it. It's the fish that you can't hit on the head. You have to hang the fish by the tail. Um, you don't gut the fish. You actually cook it with, with its guts in. Um, it makes it extra fat. There's a barb on it that has a, um, a poison, green poison bag. There's a special way to remove that. Um, so it had, it had all these special ceremonies around the fish itself. In the early 1990s, um, one year the fish didn't turn up. And the tribe went into kind of meltdown for a while saying, what's going on? What have we done to, for the mm. fish not to come back? Um, so there was a lot of soul searching going on. Um, but then talking to the scientists and you know, to other people along the coast, um, it's the whole climate change thing and the overfishing of of that species as it travels up the west, east, east coast of New Zealand. So the fish has slowly started to make a comeback, but definitely not in the numbers mm. uh, that it used to. Oh, what a shame. What a mm. shame.
The Native Seed Pod is produced by the Cultural Conservancy with generous support by Tamil Pius Trust. To contribute to our polyculture and to find out more information, please visit us at nativeseedpod.org or nativeland.org. I want to get back to the earth ovens because I was very delighted to actually experience mm-hmm. a Tongan umu mm. with you both and with Captain Onofo mm. uh, on your beautiful um, kingdom. And it was just some of the best food I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and I remember you both debating a little bit back and forth about the different technique, the different scientific knowledge of the uh, umu and the hongi. Hongi. Hongi, which mm. is like steaming and baking. And I just love to hear a little bit more of like the the science and design behind those two different types of earth ovens, because we know here in California, where we're the guests of so many uh, California native peoples, really used a lot of earth ovens. I'm sure your Yaki mm-hmm. people yeah, used earth of our agricultural works mm-hmm. as well, yeah, and that whole cycle. And so to bring back that knowledge mm. of our earth ovens seems to be a step, you know, returning to real sustainable food uh, cooking. Mm. Yeah, so um, in truth, the the proper Polynesian food <laughs> yeah. is actually umu. It is umu. It is umu. However, we kind of picked up the word hangi. Hangi is simply the the smell um, that comes out when you uh, take all the the earth and the leaves or whatever you're mm. using off, and that that steam just permeates everywhere. Mm. And people would ask, "What is that?" And now people thought they were talking about what is the smell, so they said mm. hangi. Mm. So it was renamed hangi, but in fact, the actual process is still the um. It's still the umu. It's, yeah, it, it mm-hmm. uh, means the uh, burning of hot rocks. Um, for about three hours, then cleaning out the hole, leaving the rocks there, and then what we do is we we um, hit the the rocks with with uh, branches to get rid of all the dust, and then we put the meat on the bottom, straight on the rocks, and then um, we put our vegetables and everything on top, either either in special bags now or in tin foil, mm-hmm. and then we cover it. Um, we don't have banana leaves in New Zealand. That's kind of mm-hmm. what we lost when we when we left the islands. So um, we use a, a kind of fern that's edible, mm-hmm. and then we put uh, now we put just kind of um, 
white cloth on top and then and then then the earth mm. but the rocks themselves are actually um, specifically picked out on the river on the full moon because the the rocks that are the hardest they glow so people know which ones to mm. pick out for the hangi they won't blow up in the heat of the of the fire Beautiful. Mm, mm. Oh my goodness, it was so delicious was, and so it? fun to do. And we actually wrapped in um, kalo leaves, right? Yes. Taro yes, leaves. Yeah, absolutely. Taro. Yes. The taro, that's, that that's a critical delicious. part of it. Mm. You, you, put, uh, you lay out the taro leaves, mm-hmm. then you put your meat or fish or whatever it is that you want with maybe Kumara, a bit of onion, onion or something. And then you pour the coconut cream on top, wrap it all up. And you know, tie it up, and then oh, it was and so then, delicious! Yeah. Oh my god! Just open it up and I eat it. Oh, that was fantastic! Yeah. I know too. I've heard stories of some of the local folks, uh, Miwok and Pomo. They would wrap in, you know, like you said, with the fern, with different leaves to give it different medicines. Mm-hmm. It was kind of an infusion of medicine, like mm-hmm. elderberry for immunity and other things, rose hips for vitamin C, and mm-hmm. so you know those herbs are kind of slowly infused in whatever meat or fish mm-hmm. uh, or or starch you're cooking mm. so it's a form of medicine preventive medicine oh, really, absolutely to use all those medicinal um, yeah. plants and herbs yeah. in that long steaming process mm. and it's it's actually very healthy mm-hmm. it's very healthy for you and mm-hmm. just thinking about i mean again there's so many laws and regulations in place and you know urbanization and you know the local council says you can't have a fire in the backyard right. or your garden and you know digging really hot. welcome to california <laughs> <laughs> you know we and have it's a like, fire problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know we, we did this on the beach and it, oh, was, it was such a natural magical. thing to do um, and we are very in the islands we're very used to dealing with fire so we know how to um, how to create fire and treat it with respect, mm-hmm. you know. So we've been doing this is this is a food practice that we've had for thousands of years and that has sustained us for that much time. So, um, and, you know, when people leave the islands, go to other cities to live in, and live in, you know, these types of houses with these regulations, the the relationship to kai or to food shifts and changes, mm-hmm. and um, you know, living in Aotearoa, New Zealand and in other cities, um, impacts of what we'd now call non-communicable diseases, including heart disease and diabetes, is massive. There's yes. hundreds of thousands of people that have NCDs and diabetes. And this has, this ultimately would go back to the um, how our bodies can't metabolise these new foods. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we've had thousands of years of metabolising and growing up and eating naturally kumara and taro and ufi and yams and fish and so on and suddenly you're faced with rice and white rice white and pasta bread and pasta bread carbs junk carbs, food sugars, you know takeaways yeah. you know, things like that and um that just blows out of our our body it's just like poison that's right and um mm. and also that- the the hangi itself um it's the only way of cooking where you roast broil steam and boil all of the food simultaneously mm. and what that mm. does is um, the earth that you put on top of the food oven the earth essence and the earth taste permeates the food mm. so that you're actually eating of the earth as well mm. 
And that's why, you know, going back to ancestral diets, as we've seen over and over again, restores health more than practically anything else. Mm. Of course, you need the holistic family, mm. the fauna ora, mm. you need your community, you need well-being on the, you know, all levels, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Mm. But going back to native foods or going forward to native foods, really, yeah. Yeah. Um, and incorporating ancestral diets has been one of the best protective factors to... Um, prevent and treat diabetes certainly here in our native american communities and I, it sounds like the same for your pacific islander communities mm. this is a story that we know well here also mm. in turtle island the mm. impact of colonial foods and the mm. disruption of um, our ability to access you know good and clean land good and clean water and practice those ancestral and traditional agricultural sciences and keep those um, you know those knowledge centers alive and well has absolutely impacted the health of Native America here mm. on this continent in very devastating ways. We we echo, yeah, very similarly mm -hmm. that conversation. Mm. It's kind of funny too that um, the new horizon in the medical field is to look at um, you know possible cures to things like like different types of cancers uh, now being uh, now being discovered and. The foods that we usually throw in away, like fish heads and, and, and eels, river eels, we traditionally ate these on a daily basis. So now we're discovering in the last um, year or so that um, they say there's um, some, some perhaps um, anti-cancer treatment in the, in the uh, cheek meat of, of fish heads. And which is also, a delicacy which is for a your delicacy people. For your people. <laughs> and, and and also um the, the, the head of the of the eel, the river eel. So while we've been eating these um for centuries, um people would, would throw those out with, with the rubbish and now they're kind of coming back full mm. circle. Mm. It's like oh we need to go back to these natural native foods for yeah, many other reasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ironically, that was denigrated as poor people's food or right. primitive right. food. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and yet this was medicine of the land. Mm. Yeah. 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 Tom, yeah. You were saying too how, how these relationships really disrupt our own relationship with food, right? Where, where as you're saying, Melissa, you know, these were like kind of the poor foods or the primitive foods. Therefore, in mainstream society, they're not foods that have any sort of value mm. or any sort of um, 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 you know, relevance in our current, mm -hmm. you know, dietary scope. And here we mm -hmm. are returning to that conversation mm -hmm. where those things have relevance. They always have. Mm -hmm. And how do we return back to that space? Yeah. Ultimately, I think it is, it, everything is about relationship and relationship of respect and respect and understanding. And so that's, that's why it's a really important part of our cultures, which have developed over thousands of years, and I think also with the Native American and other indigenous groups, we we, we do a blessing for the food. Mm -hmm. We, um, you know, there's an invocation of thanks that the food is not just something that we have put into the ground and that it's all about ourselves, but it's actually about land. And, um, you know, we have created um, systems of, uh, you know, cosmogenies around these. We have Tangaroa, the guardian of the ocean, you know, Tane, the, the guardian of the forests, you know, um, the guardian of roots. And, you know, these are all part of our um, 
cosmogonies of, of guardianship and gods and atua that have developed. So, you know, when we um, when we eat or we, when we go to recognize that kai, then we'll do a karakia to mm. them, thanking them and mm. others and papatuanuku and ranginui for the, you know, for the rain and, and so on. Who's mother sky father? Yeah, yeah. and and in relationship, so um, that was the this this is something that has been disrupted in the last couple of hundred, few hundred years. The um, the close relationship that we had with Kai, uh, as a recognition of that giving us a the, a divine energy, and when, once you have this separation over time, and we're further and further away from food, and it becomes food or becomes some kind of commodity or or, you know, a th- it's almost like a thing. You lose a relationship, and then our body has lost relationship with it. And so we end up with all these, like, terrible diseases mm-hmm. that have killed so many of our people. Out of that know? broken relationship. It's a broken relationship. Yeah. And so for us, it's like, uh, that's, that's some of the essence of Fano, which is about family and Fano order, about bringing back that understanding and relationship to kai, to the land, to the whenua, to the... Moana, mm-hmm. to, you know, understanding that, you know, f- there's a relationship to fish and to whales and to mm. the sea that creatures. That is cosmological, not just nutritional. That's right. It's yes. a cosmological yes. relationship. It's much larger. Yeah. I mean, we have, um, and it's across the world for all Native communities, white sugar has been, um, you know, a terrible, has had a terrible effect on us. Traditionally, what we used to use was um, the cabbage tree. Um, so they would they'd cut it in six foot lengths and burn it in a kind of a pyre and um, what would come out at the end was a, a thick tarry black kind of paste which was our natural sugar mm. that we traded with but um, we haven't done that for at least 120 years mm-hmm. so you know we're looking again back to look forward and to replace these kind of um, things like white sugar with our and with Manukahani as well, with the, mm, with the natural right. sugars. Yes. And then the ability to plant the correct plants for the bees to be able to produce that. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's hugely important. We've had honey like forever. We have had bees right across our islands and across Aotearoa. And we, we love our bees. I mean, if we even call it Ngāti P. They have their own tribal name. Yes. <laughs> it's like the bee tribe. Oh. You know? and what, what is their name? Ng- Ngāti is like a, like the tribe. Oh. Ngāti P, you know? It's Ngāti like P. Ngāti oh. P is oh. like the bee tribe. Oh. You know? So, you know, again, it's a relational tri- element with the bee oh, tribe and what the bee tribe has been able to give us, which is honey but life and we understand the life-giving nature of honey you know the medicine the medicine the the healing uh, balm that it provides beautiful well thank you both so much i know we can talk for days about Mm. food with you and we will have you back on the native seed pod and you're part of our family and we will continue these learnings together and sharing together and in closing i want to see if you have any other final thoughts on this topic of kai the divine energy and also um, humbly request if you could share one of your food blessing chants uh, that I have been privileged to be a part of in your homeland and in various contexts. Mm. Um, for me, I think it's uh, revisiting the practices that go with the uh, the, the planting and with the, the harvesting. Mm. 
because that give, brings us back into relationship with the environment, with our community, and of course again with the wider cosmos. And I think that's the big one, a big one for me. Mm. And again, what we were talking about being in relationship to kai, to food, and and you know having that as a blessing that. Um, mm. uh, you know, if we understand where it comes from, that you know, if born of Papatunuku, Mother Earth, and blessed by Ranginui, the Sky Father, and that you know, we are all one in relation to each other. We share Teha, the breath of life, with these beautiful relatives. You know, I mean, this is what will give us Oranga or Ora. You know, moving forward. Mm. So this would be an example of a kind of key we would use, which would be to to thank the Creator for the food that we would be about to receive, and then um, to thank everybody and everything within that circle. So it would sound something like this, Iho e teatua, teatua ngā atua, te timatanga mea whutama kumutunga ngā mea katoa, mihi atu ki a koe, mō mātou nei kai, e orono o tāte tīnata, mea mātou wairua, mō ake ake, tūturu whakamaua ki a tīnā, Tina. Homie, who yeah? Tai kie. Thank you so much for all of the the wisdom and teachings from your beautiful island nations. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Kia We want to do a little uh, a little waiata, a little song, um, and it has for th- a few really awesome ancient Māori um, Pacific words, aroha or aloha, which is the um, sharing the breath of life and the pathway of the breath of life, whakapono, which is about truth and justice, and rangimārie, which is about harmony, peace, and also how we harmonise our relationship with kai and mm. why. And Tato Tato is all about us doing it together. So this is a, a song about relationship with um, with everyone. Aroha could also be seen as um, affection or, or sometimes seen as love. You know, Care and compassion. Care and compassion. Yeah, so um, we'll sing it through twice and I'll start. So let's go. Te Aroha Te Whakapono Te rangi marie, tato tato e. Te aroha, te whakapono. Te rangi marie, tato tato e. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Kia ora. Kia ora.